Oh, hello, podcast listeners. This is your podcaster, your blogger, Anne Altas. I throw blogger in there because this is basically a podcast about a blog. So everything I'm going to be talking to you about here has already gotten started over on my blog. Mm, occasionally I might introduce a completely new topic, but basically my topic selection process is writing in a style that I've been doing for Oh, 17 years or so, every day for 17 years. Whoa, I'm seeing a, I'm podcasting in a new place. And I just opened the blinds and I see right outside my window, there is a squirrel on a drain pipe right by the window. I don't know. Oh, I'm doing the conventional thing of being distracted by a squirrel, but it just looks kind of uh, ratty and dirty. I'm not liking it. Well, maybe things are in decline, going to hell. We're actually working very hard fixing things up around here. I was just painting and restocking closets and organizing things. Do you ever, do you ever try to put everything in order? Well, one problem with putting things in order is that you notice the disorder. You're trying to correct it, but it can be disturbing to become aware of disorder and you can feel a sort of hopelessness about how there's always disorder. If you start imposing order, you become aware of the disorder and you can never fix all the disorder. And it's rather disturbing. Maybe that's why I have an aversion to politics. Uh, and yet every day for 17 years, I've been doing this blogging thing of looking to see what's up, what's going wrong today. Like what exactly today is the disturbing thing. So. I'm going to begin as the blog began. I don't have to begin with the first post, but I'm going to do that because it seems to fit the everything's going to hell style of uh, the way American life seems to be going. Is it really that bad or does it just seem that way when you watch the news? Right? They always, that's kind of the nature of news. Maybe we should disengage from the news, but we can't disengage now. It's two weeks before the election. The big debate is tonight. How could the big debate fit the craziness of the way there's something going on every day? I'm about to talk about Giuliani. I'm just stalling. <laughs> but what about that debate? What could happen? I could only, I, I, I thought, oh, the idea I had was uh, maybe Trump or Biden or both of them could drop dead in the middle of the debate. I don't want to imagine anything bad happening to everybody. It's just that things keep going to hell around here. So, so I'm thinking of that. On a, on a lighter note, I pictured Hunter Biden charging up out of the audience and uh, making some confession in the middle of the debate stage. That would be dramatic. That would fit a uh, movie. There's a movie on the subject. But uh, speaking of movies, there's this new Borat movie with Sasha Baron Cohen. And I'm going to jump right in there. I'm not going to give you all the background. I assume you know what's going on. And um, the post title is, is that Borat sequence with Giuliani revenge porn? I didn't get around to the Giuliani story yesterday. I put a lid on my blogging at 12.56 p.m. when I finished my podcast and got to work painting my closet. I hadn't even thought about the display of video recorded with hidden cameras in a private hotel room, edited into a movie, and presented as out-of-context clips or stills to stun, shock, outrage, 
or delight the people of the entire world. But sitting down to blog this morning, I thought, revenge porn. Do we accept that the rules of life in American society today include video recording private behavior and selecting the most revealing moment to put on the internet for everyone to see? If what Sasha Baron Cohen did is accepted, then why can't everyone put, set up a little camera in their hotel or bedroom and lure someone into that space and see if they can get something that they're interested in putting on the internet? This could be used to hurt any person. Quite aside from the ethics of treating other people this way, the trick, which the clever man Sasha Baron Cohen did not invent, has been enough of a problem over the years that laws, criminal laws, have been passed. Googling Giuliani and revenge porn, I found these tweets. First one is from uh, Jack Prosabiek, who said, Congrats to everyone posting those Giuliani pictures. You just brought, broke the New York State revenge porn law. And he gives a link to a website of the New York governor explaining the uh, New York State revenge porn law. And someone named Maria de la Torre, PhD, responded to him and said, revenge porn is an ex-boyfriend releasing intimate pictures of his ex-girlfriend, not a comedian filming a creepy old man that represents a major oppressor an enemy of U.S. democracy willingly masturbating to a woman who was interviewing him. Stop twisting laws to save a monster. And um, she's respond. And and then Chernovich says, I'm not sure if he said this before or after she said that, but he said, your dick doesn't have to be completely out for a person to be in an intimate situation under revenge porn laws. Those Rudy Giuliani images aren't even a close call. It's revenge porn under New York law and every other state's respective revenge porn laws. Now, I don't know if he's a lawyer. I don't know if he's deeply researched that or if he's just looking at the words and forming an opinion and perhaps edging things in the direction he wants to go. Uh, but clearly, uh, Maria de la Torre, is take, who is a PhD, and I went over to her website, and she seems to be a college professor, and I, at first I thought maybe she was, um, I contemplated whether Maria de la Torre might be a pseudonymous comedian like Titania McGrath, but no, I think she's this college professor. I give a link to her website. A professor can still use humor, but I think she's at least partly serious. And let me repeat her, her, her post, her quote, so you can see what I'm talking about again. Look, listen closely. Revenge porn is an ex-boyfriend releasing intimate pictures of his ex-girlfriend, not a comedian filming a creepy old man that represents a major oppressor, an enemy of U.S. democracy, willingly masturbating to a woman who was interviewing him. Stop twisting laws to save a monster. Now, I'm not sure if she's trying to be funny or if she's trying to do legal interpretation, but obviously statutes aren't written in a gender-specific way like that. It could be a boyfriend against a girlfriend or a girlfriend against a boyfriend or a boy against a boy or a girl against a girl. Um, and it doesn't matter what kind of job the victim has or who they represent. 
And it doesn't even matter whether it was consensual sexual activity. I mean, revenge porn is often like that. You film something that it might not, it could even be where it wasn't even filmed in secret, but the person even knew it. But willing sex, uh, consensual sex, and you got pictures of it, and later you violate the person's privacy by putting it up up on the internet or, or some such thing in order to, to hurt the person. Um, it doesn't matter whether the victim is um, an appealing person or someone people generally like or someone people have contempt for, and it doesn't matter which sex they are. That's not the way criminal laws work. So I said the idea that criminal law protects only the victims you view as good is legally wrong and blatantly unethical. And by the way, it's an idea that was used to allow rapists to accept, to escape conviction. That was the, in the old days before rape shield laws, the woman was, the, the person who made the complaint, the alleged victim, would be cross-examined on issues that tried to elicit whether she was promiscuous or maybe had engaged in prostitution or drinking and drugs or what kind of person she was to see whether we cared if she was victimized as if some people were unrapeable or some rapes we just don't care about we don't bother with revenge porn against a creepy old man right we only care about revenge porn against a nice young woman no that's not the way the laws should work it doesn't matter that the victim was a bad person um, Giuliani might not want to argue that what was done to him was revenge porn. It's inconsistent with this assertion that nothing happened. He was just tucking in his shirt. So I don't know if he's even interested, probably not, in using what I'm saying, the idea that it's revenge porn. But I'm just over here on the side commenting that luring people into doing something and secretly filming them and then humiliating and embarrassing them by putting it online it's bad behavior. And whether it's a crime or not, it should be regarded as bad behavior. But Sasha Baron Cohen is uh, uh, enriching himself and getting adulation from people. Um, you know, when it's anti-Trump, they will talk about what a narcissist Trump is. But what about the narcissism of Sasha Baron Cohen displaying himself in a movie? What about the narcissism of all the Hollywood characters who display themselves? Well, I don't really mind that they do that. I'm entertained by some of the displays. But if you're going to humiliate other people, if you're going to secretly film uh, and try to trick people into uh, succumbing to their vulnerabilities, such as an old man feeling uh, excited that a young woman is uh, is sexually interested in him. Well, you know, it it is kind of bad behavior, isn't it? But I guess that's what we're laughing at. We're, people are going to the movies to laugh at that, and they think Giuliani is despicable, and uh, Sasha Baron Cohen has conveniently targeted someone that the young crowd feels is despicable so let's let's kick him around you know burn the witch as we were talking about yesterday the witch the male witch uh giuliani as long as we hate him why not do anything to him that's the attitude if you know i remember when the liberal side represented the rights of the criminally accused and uh the rights of people not to be 
of outsiders not to be bullied and treated with um, disrespect. Now, of course, you could say, oh, Giuliani's no outsider. He's a, he's a very powerful person with a lot of ins, and he's done very well for himself. But he is, in the public culture, someone who's vilified and hated. Uh, and so to take pleasure at the damage and the pain caused to someone that you already dislike is a low is is something that rep, that's low character on your part if you want to see that um and that is the same kind of mob mentality that uh is connected to the long history of witch burning and other sorts of activities against outsiders again i know giuliani is a consummate insider right he how can he be the outsider well the inside is out, the outside is in. Oh, what song do I seem to be quoting? A clue. It's a song much uh, talked about by Charles Manson. I'm talking about Helter Skelter. Isn't that the isn't that the lyrics of that song? The inside is out and the outside is in. The insiders are out and the outsiders are in. Oh no, wait, wait, wait. I looked it up. I looked it up. It's it's not it's close to Helter Skelter. It's white album material. It's everybody's got something to hide except me and my monkey. Hey, that would be a good song for Giuliani to think about. And maybe Jeffrey Tubin. Everybody's got something to hide except me and my monkey. Now that's a John Lennon song. And I'm sure he was talking about his um, nakedness, among other things. But it does have the lyric, your inside is out when your outside is in. Your outside is in when your inside is out. Think about it. So I don't think that's really about the idea of insiders and outsiders in politics and society and so forth. When is your, your inside is out, when your outside is in. Your outside is in when your inside is out. Okay, I have no idea. Uh, we'll have to think about that. This is a genius. Uh, th I'm looking at genius.com where things are, are annotated, but no one has annotated that line. What was he talking about? Your inside is out. I would think your inner soul and your outer skin, but your outer your outside is in when you're, I think he's just uh, fooling around with uh, paradoxical statements that amuse him. I wouldn't attribute any meaning to it at all, other than that y your humble blogger is distracted by a squirrel and then distracted by Beatles lyrics. Uh, maybe other people are distracted by the men's penises in the news, but, um, you know, there are so many distractions. Penises are just one of the many, many distractions in the world. And I just want to finish reading this uh, post. I said, I have not researched the revenge porn issue in any depth. And I assume Sasha Baron Cohen had his legal advisors and the scene was planned with an interruption that occurred exactly where it needed to end to preserve the argument that it was not a violation of criminal statutes. But I do think it is a violation of social norms to lure a person into an intimate encounter for the purpose of recording compromising videos. 
and yet it's a practice as old as photography. And there's a long list of political figures who've been tricked and disempowered that way. Oh, that reminds me, today is the day Ghislaine Maxwell, the D Ghislaine Maxwell deposition is coming out. So much sexual exposure this week. And that was, I'm going to switch up to the last post I put up before starting the podcast. And this post just went up at uh, 210. Turns out uh, there's nothing. There's nothing uh, she ever did wrong, according to her. Well, you know, if you do a lot of things wrong and you have to do a deposition about it, why wouldn't you lie? Why would you? What's the point? If you confess, you're, you're, um, well, you could uh, m maybe refuse to participate in the deposition because it would incriminate you. That might be your best move, but uh, if you're, you're certainly not going to say that you did all of the things she's accused of. And I'm quoting from the BBC. In the 465-page document, Ghislaine Maxwell repeatedly denies and dismisses numerous allegations and insists she never saw the financier, Jeffrey Epstein, have sex with anybody. I never saw any inappropriate underage activities with Jeffrey ever, she said, asked if she was aware of any non-consensual sexual acts between Epstein and masseuses, she replied, all the time that I have been in the house, I have never seen, heard, nor witnessed, nor have had reported to me that any activities took place, that people were in distress, either reported to me or by the staff or anyone else. She also said she never hired anyone under the age of 18 to work in Epstein's homes and never participated in any sexual activities with them, asked whether she believed that Epstein had sexually abused minors, she said, I can only testify to what I know. I know that Virginia is a liar. Miss Maxwell also called Virginia Jeffrey an awful, an awful fantasist. A well-connected socialite, Maxwell is said to have introduced Epstein to many of her wealthy and powerful friends, including Bill Clinton and Prince Andrew. Friends said that although Ms. Maxwell and Epstein's romantic relationship lasted only a few years, she continued to work with him long afterward. So what's going on there? Uh, somebody's lying. Some things went wrong. Epstein is, as far as I've heard, dead. Uh, I don't know what to say about that other than if people thought lots of names would be names and people would be incriminated in that long deposition. They were disappointed when that story came out. You'll have to look for your thrills and chills somewhere else. So I looked over at the Washington Post and I saw a couple of headlines that uh, I characterized as the Washington Post reports on the inside of Trump's head. Your inside is out when your outside is in. Well, they can see through to the inside. So maybe his outside is in, whatever that means. Am I going to keep saying that throughout the podcast? Because wouldn't that be annoying? It has no meaning that I've been able to discern, and yet I insist on using it. Isn't that awful? Anyway, the two headlines in the Washington Post that caught my eye and bothered me as being Washington Post reporting from the inside of Trump's head. The first one begins, Trump weighs firing FBI chief 
And the second one begins, Trump aims for adulation. And I said, I feel a little embarrassed for the Washington Post. Embarrassed and disgusted. They flaunt their disregard for journalistic standards with front page headlines that state as if it were verified fact, what's going on in Trump's psyche. Hey, remember the old uh, what goes on in McCain's brain from the 2008 election? It was a pretty funny uh, video series, and that was before there was so much respect for McCain later after he lost to Obama, but when he was actually running against Obama, he was diminished and ridiculed as much as possible, treated as if he were a demented old man, an angry guy. And uh, in the, the jingle for this particular comic video series was uh, What Goes On in McCain's Brain. I feel a little embarrassed for the Washington Post, embarrassed and disgusted. They flaunt their disregard for journalistic standards with front page headlines that state, as if it were a verified fact, what's going on in Trump's psyche. These are front page headlines right now. One, Trump aims for adulation. Biden goes virtual. The two are running vastly different presidential campaigns. And I said, the facts here are that Trump is doing rallies while Biden is staying out of view. Quote, Trump has been spending heaps of cash, cash staging crowded rallies designed to motivate his most fervent fans. Where's the evidence that Trump is seeking adulation as opposed to simply trying to win the election using a method that has worked in the past and that he's good at? The rallies are shown on TV and it's free coverage. So like paid advertising, it's a way to reach people who are holed up at home. WAPO is gratuitously inserting the popular Trump is a narcissist theory into its news headline. Two, Trump weighs firing FBI chief after election amid... Trump weighs firing FBI chief after election amid frustration with Ray... Bar, does Wapo? I, I said, does Wapo know Trump is weighing firing Christopher A. Ray, and that he's frustrated with him? The article, based on unnamed people familiar with the matter, says there have been repeated discussions. I assume the sources were not present for the discussions, but somehow in a position to have heard about them. Otherwise, Wapo would put it more strongly than people familiar with the matter. This material is at the top of an article that eventually gets around to material about Hunter Biden's laptop. I'm thinking the trip into Trump's mind for the weighing and frustration was developed to distract readers from the real news that had to be put in the paper. If we keep reading, we see this, quote, in a letter sent Tuesday night to Ron Johnson, chairman of the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, an FBI official sought to, dis sought to lodge questions posed by Johnson about the Bureau's knowledge of Hunter Biden's purported laptop. The FBI has nothing to add to a statement made by Director of National Intelligence John Radcliffe, who earlier this week dismissed suspicions that the Biden laptop was the product of a Russian disinformation campaign, the letter said. Ratcliffe told Fox Business Network on Monday that the U.S. government has no intelligence to support such claims. 
by not disputing accusations leveled by Democrats and some former intelligence officials that the laptop's late-season reveal could be another form of foreign election interference. The FBI gave tacit support to the idea that the emails in question are genuine. But the Bureau's letter to Johnson was not that explicit, noting the criticism leveled by Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz over Comey's actions in 2016. And I said, that's hard to read, easy to misread. I'll bet many WAPO readers, maybe most WAPO readers, read that to see that there is reinforcement of the idea that the stories about the purported Hunter Biden laptop are the product of Russian disinformation campaign, when really, Radcliffe, the director of national intelligence, said there was no information, no intelligence on that, and the person from the FBI was just saying the FBI isn't, doesn't speak to such things. It's, it's uh, that, that under their rules, they don't, uh, they don't convey this information. So that should all be no, not yes. But the inside is out and the outside is in and no is yes and yes is no. Because that's the crazy world we live in. Oh, this next post. I think this is the best post of the day. The gooeyest ad I've ever seen with a tinkling piano playing the nas national anthem. Um, <laughs> the gooeyest ad I've ever seen with a tinkling piano playing the national anthem and the hilariously sentimental voice of Sam Elliott. Let's see. The ad played during the World Series. I don't know about you. Are you watching the World Series? not really watching the World Series. I read about the ad in the that WAPO article I linked to in the previous post. According to WAPO, while Trump on Tuesday appealed in person to his most ardent fans with divisive themes, Joe Biden's campaign beamed into the nation's living rooms during the World Series with a much broader audience in mind. Yes, whoever made that ad sure had the broader audience in mind. I can picture... I can picture clever fellows laughing at their own work, comparing it to a South Park parody, and joking about how dumb Americans are. And joking about how dumb Americans are. Oh, yeah. Watching that ad a few uh, seconds in, Mead said, Tegrity Farms, and toward the end, I said, this is for the dumb people. Actually, this is very effective. I could feel the emotion they were trying to put over. Joe will bring us together. No reason why, and don't you worry your head about what he'll actually do while you're in a hypnotic fog of phony baloney togetherness. I'm looking for the right Tegrity Farms ad to convey Mead's point. There's this, but as Mead said, it doesn't have enough of that voice, you know, like that guy, that guy in the Big Lebowski. I say, Sam Elliott, do you, you do realize the voice in the Biden ad is Sam Elliott. Mead thought it was just some guy doing his damnedest to sound like Sam Elliott. No, that's actually Sam Elliott. You might think Sam Elliott is such an extreme that he'd be reserved for the comic exaggeration of the voice of a narrator. 
and I put in an embed from the Big Lebowski, but the Biden campaign is using him utterly seriously to stir our soulfully deep desire for America. Uh, and then I give you the do you have an integrity ad from South Park, which is a, you know, a parody of an ad for some sort of America's farmland product where the product is marijuana. And I said, why don't they just give us the marijuana already? Then we could sit back and laugh at all this absurdity. Ah, but then you'd be like me, abstaining. They need you to vote. They've got to, you've got to melt into a pool of goo and yet maintain sufficient semblance to a human creature to check a box on a mail-in ballot. I don't know how sentient you really need to be to check a box on a mail-in ballot, especially if people help you, they wanna help you. But I think they also want us to melt into a pool of goo so that we can just barely uh, sign our name, sign that mail-in ballot. Um, And I don't want you to be confused about what I meant by, and then you'd be like me abstaining. I said, you know, like if you had enough marijuana, you could sit back and laugh uh, like I do, but then you'd be abstaining and not voting. I'm not voting. I'm abstaining. That's what I said I would do. And I want to be able to be aloof and hold back. And uh, maybe if you use too much marijuana, you might you might be too aloof. And we really can't have everybody getting this aloof. It's a special privilege that I'm adopting for my writerly purposes. And I didn't want anyone to think that it could, I added an asterisk and a footnote. I don't usually use footnotes on the blog, but I did put a footnote here to say, um, to, to dispel the impression I might've created that I'm already on marijuana. And that's why I'm uh, sitting back laughing. I'm not laughing all the time, but at least I'm not crying. Uh, I, I added a footnote. No, I'm not on marijuana. It doesn't even work on me. I'm naturally this way. And that's what we used to say back circa 1970. Oh, I'm naturally high. I don't need drugs. <laughs> the next post. It's just a quick co- quote from uh, the na- newly famous Tony Bobulinski, CEO of Sinohawk Holdings. Sinohawk, like a predator of the Chinese. That's something to name your company when you're trying to get money from the Chinese, don't you think? He's quoted in Hunter Biden business partner calls email genuine, says Hunter sought dad's advice on deals. Tony Bobulinski said he does not believe Joe Biden's claims that he did not discuss his son's business dealings. And here's the quote from Bobulinski. The reference to the big guy in the much publicized May 13th, 2017 email is in fact a reference to Joe Biden. I've seen Vice President Biden saying he never talked to Hunter about his business. I've seen firsthand that that's not true because it wasn't just Hunter's business. They said they were putting the Biden family name and its legacy on the line. The Biden family aggressively leveraged the the Biden family name to make millions of dollars from foreign entities, even though some were from communist-controlled China. And so I'll just leave that out there. You know it's there, and I am noting it. I'm not going to say anything more about that, except maybe maybe it'll come up during during the debate. I had this fantasy of ways the debate could go just horribly wrong, and uh, um, my my idea is in the middle of the debate, 
Hunter Biden will run up out of the audience and take the stage and start uh, confessing all in the middle, middle of things, right? If it were a movie, it would be more like that, don't you think? Anyway, on to the next post. Strange gesture suggested if Biden were willing to grasp the nettle. And I had just gone over to the New Yorker and saw what, what they were featuring in the middle of their front page. And it's a picture of Joe in sunglasses holding his hand up, waving, or I don't know, blessing the crowd. And the, the headline for the article is Joe Biden and the possibility of a remarkable presidency. If Biden were willing to grasp the nettle, the sting would be real, but history would judge him well for trying. And this is a piece by Bill McKibben. And I said, I'm just glancing at the New Yorker, erstwhile home of Jeffrey Tubin, who made a strange gesture the other day, grasping and getting stung. I think I would have laughed at the, that headline in any case, Joe Biden and the possibility of a remarkable presidency. If Biden were willing to grasp the nettle, the sting would be real but history would judge him well for trying. So what's this stinging nettle? This is a metaphor, but what are, what are they talking about? I, I read this so you don't have to and boiled it down to a very short quote. If Biden's not guarding his approval ratings for a second run, he could push to expand and reform the courts. He could re embrace the Green New Deal, moving money from the Pentagon to the national security task of building out solar and wind power and setting irrevocably in motion an industrial transition that would transform our economy over the next generation. He could take millions of undocumented immigrants out of the shadows. He could make sure we have a commission to examine and recommend reparations for black and indigenous Americans, and so on. Dot, dot, dot. He hasn't risked much over the years. His biggest virtue is the dull, if welcome, one of decency. But the odd situation he could be stepping into might give him an unlikely chance for greatness. And I said the odd situation is that he's so old he won't be jockeying for a second term and that he'd be succeeding Trump the Terrible. This, we're told, creates an opportunity to go big, to grasp the nettle. And I added, the figurative use of nettle goes back to the 1400s, the Oxford English Dictionary tells us. And Shakespeare used it in 1598 in Henry IV, Part One. This is Hotspur reading from a letter and arguing with it. Okay, this is, this is my first Shakespeare on the podcast, so get ready. This is Hotspur, and it contains quotes within his quote where he's reading a letter and then arguing with it. The purpose you undertake is dangerous. Why, that's certain. Tis dangerous to take a cold, to sleep, to drink. But I tell you, my lord fool, out of this nettle, danger, we will, we pluck this flower, safety. The purpose you undertake is dangerous. The friends you have named uncertain, the time itself unsorted, and your whole plot too light for the counterpoise of so great an opposition. Say you so? Say you so? I say unto you again, you are a shallow, cowardly hind, and you lie. What a lack brain is this. By the Lord, our plot is a, a, is a good plot as ever was laid. Are friends true and constant? A good plot, good friends, and full of expectation, an excellent plot. Very good friends. 
what a frosty spirited rogue is this <laughs> and i need to do more shakespeare i need to practice you have to get it so you can say it very quickly trippingly on the tongue as they say now i see that senator schumer was out on the capitol steps uh, making a proclamation about amy coney barrett I'm just going to have a little quote from him. He said, the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett is the most illegitimate process I have ever witnessed in the Senate and her potential confirmation will have dire, dire consequences for the Senate, for the Supreme Court and our entire country for generations to come. Democrats will not lend a single ounce of legitimacy to this sham vote in the Judiciary Committee. Democrats will not lend a single ounce of legitimacy to this awful, awful hearing. We are voting with our feet. We are standing together. And we are standing against this unprecedented mad rush to jam through a Supreme Court nomination in just days, days before an election. He was into doing repetitions there. That was part of his... Uh, it's rhetoric. There's lots more to it. But just in this quote, there's dire, dire, and um, uh, will not lend a single ounce, he says twice, an awful, awful hearing, and days, days before an election. I actually think that's uh, pretty, uh, pretty darn poetic for a senator. Now, the next article is just uh, from a New York Times piece about the Google lawsuit, the antitrust suit. Uh, with the Google lawsuit, the long antitrust winter is over. The Justice Department is demanding that the company um, prove its greatness by competing in the market, not by buying its way out of it. And this is by Columbia Law Prof. Tim Wu, and I'll just read a little bit. By many measures, Google is a great organization, but why then does it need to pay Apple billions of dollars to keep competitors at bay? The law is demanding that Google prove its greatness by playing the game, not by buying its way out. Being exposed to more competition might also serve as a stimulant for the company. Insulation from competition can be a narcotic. Some may urge us to trust that large companies like Google are fundamentally well-intentioned. That view became dominant among antitrust officials during George W. Bush's administration and now has prevailed for 20 years. It has left us with, a, with an economy that is too concentrated, unfair to workers, smaller producers, and entrepreneurs. It has deepened economic inequality. It has also put so much political power in so few private hands that it alarms politicians on both the left and the right. Okay, so I'll leave that to you to keep thinking about, keep thinking about uh, antitrust and Google. And then there's just one more post, and this is uh, commemorating Barack Obama's rally at the drive-in. He went to a uh, movie drive-in at uh, in Philadelphia, and I guess he was up on the stage. I, I watched the video, and I've embedded the video, and I don't think he's too happy to be there. It's sort of a tawdry environment, the stage of a drive-in theater, and then the audience is in cars, and that's a way to do a rally so that people are socially distanced and so that you can actually kind of get something like a crowd, but it doesn't at all look like the kind of crowds that Trump is doing at his rally. So Trump has free reign to do his crowded rallies, and the Democrats are censorious of that, but then they also can't do anything like that. 
but they figured out a way to get Obama out there and and uh, the cars would honk like instead of applause or cheers honk <laughs> and there was there was something just I think a little tawdry about it and I don't think uh, Obama looked too happy up there and we're getting so close to the election and it just seems like it seems a little desperate to be wheeling Obama literally wheeling into the driving him in uh, wheeling Obama out at this point it does seem like uh, and then Biden not doing any rallies at all. Why doesn't Biden go to the stage of a drive-in in Philadelphia? But no, suddenly we, we have uh, the grand ex-president Barack Obama out there. And I just give you a little, I think it's odd. I think it's odd that we see him and not others. But of course, Joe is said to be prepping for the big debate tonight. Uh, but he's not showing the kind of vibrant enthusiasm and um, energy that we're getting from Trump, although maybe Trump looks desperate too. It's just another way of looking desperate. Okay, I'm just going to read you this quote that I selected from the oratory of Barack Obama, and uh, and then that's going to be it for the podcast for today. And with Joe, this is the quote, and with Joe and Kamala at the helm, you're not going to have to argue about them every day. It just won't be so exhausting. So notice at this point, he's saying you should vote for Joe and Kamala so you won't be so tired. I mean, notice how de-energized that sounds. The idea is that we, the voters, are tired and Joe and Kamala will help us not be not be so tired because we've gotten tired out having to argue all the time with Trump being president. So if they're president, then we won't have to argue so much and it it won't be so exhausting. He goes on, you might be able to have a Thanksgiving dinner without having an argument. So he's portraying the people out there as arguing to the point where they're making themselves tired, exhausted. We're tired of arguing. So if we had a different president, then we'd get some rest from the arguments. Hey, people, how about just not being so argumentative? Settle down. You have it within yourself to be calm. You don't have to say, I need a different president of the United States so I can stop arguing all the time. Come on, find it within yourself to stop that. You can't have Thanksgiving because Trump is president. So pathetic. Anyway, back to Obama. When Joe and Kamala are in charge, they're not going to surround themselves with hacks and lobbyists, but they're going to appoint qualified public servants who actually care. Our democracy is not going to work if the people who are supposed to be our leaders lie every day and just make things up. And we've just become numb to it. We've just become immune to it. Every single day, fact checkers can't keep up. And look, this notion of truthfulness and democracy and citizenship and being responsible, these aren't Republican or Democratic principles. They're American principles. That's what, they're what most of us grew up learning from our parents and grandparents. They're not white or black or Latino or Asian values. They're American values, human values, and we need to reclaim them. We have to get those values back at the center of our public life. And we can, but to do it, we've got to turn out like never before. We can't be complacent. I don't care about the polls. There were a whole bunch of polls last time. Didn't work out because a whole bunch of folks stayed home and got lazy and complacent. 
I love you, Philadelphia. Honk if you're fired up. Honk if you're ready to go. Are you fired up? And the cars honked. So you can see at the end, he was doing that old slogan of his, fire, all fired up, ready to go. Fired up, ready to go. Um, that's a, a blast from the past. Fired up, ready to go. And he's worried that people will stay home. People got lazy and complacent. The polls were too good for Hillary Clinton. People got lazy and complacent. So don't, don't believe the polls. I don't care about the polls. So Biden's had all these wonderful polls, and that's kind of, I think, been used to try to depress the enthusiasm for Trump because, oh, he's just going to lose, so why bother? I'm just going to go about my business. But that idea can backfire because the Trump people seem to continue to be themselves fired up and ready to go, and now the Democrats have to worry that their people are thinking, oh, uh, uh, he's going to win. We, I don't, they don't need me. I don't need to worry. I can be lazy. Um, so Obama went to Philadelphia to tell the Philadelphians they were lazy. They let, because why did Trump win Pennsylvania? Because he didn't get enough votes in Philadelphia. The Philadelphians were being lazy and complacent. 